0: Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Ethereum is built by code, but it's composed by people. And each individual member of the Ethereum community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it. And Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because Ethereum is people all the way down. And it always has been. On the first episode of Layer Zero, I'm excited to have a conversation with Dimitri Buterin. And if we're calling this Layer Zero, I think Dimitri Buterin might be layer negative one. Uh, Dimitri Buterin is the father of Vitalik Buterin, the guy that kicked off this whole Ethereum movement. And I really wanted to have him on as the first guest because of the relationship between the DNA of, of the people that make up this industry and the actual things that come to manifest on it in code. I think there's a relationship there. Uh, Dmitry was uh, born in Russia and was you know, raised in communist Russia, and he, we go through the story of what that was like, his first introduction into, uh, into computers, his uh, uh, computer science major at university, uh, and then moving into the world where he's in now, where he lives in Canada. Uh, Dimitri is focused as a uh, on the world of you know meditation and mindfulness and that is a, a topic of conversation that I'm also very interested in as well and so we start to we talk about in addition to many other things the the relationship between ethereum and acceptance and kindness and how the protocol is a reflection of the values of the people that built it as the introduction to this podcast just suggested. Uh, And then we also talked about what it's like to be Vitalik's dad and watch this kid go around the world trying to garner support for this Ethereum thing, even before we all knew that Ethereum was going to be what it was going to be. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dimitri Buterin, and I hope that you enjoy all future podcasts with the people that you've already listened to podcasts to before, But in a different context about how the people that compose this ecosystem make up the the code that dictates our lives. And so without further ado, I bring you Dimitri Buterin, but first a message from these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what you are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to Arbitrum Layer 2. To get up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter, at Arbitrum, and join their Discord. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again, DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. All right, everyone, I'm here with Dimitri Buterin, the uh, founder of Vitalik. I had to steal, 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 <laughs> that, steal that joke from, from Laura Shin. She was the one that, that made that. Yeah. Um, Dimitri, uh, welcome to Layer Zero, the first ever uh, guest for, on the first ever episode of this new podcast. Welcome. Hey. So uh, for, for listeners who are trying to get a grip for what Layer Zero is, Layer Zero is about the people that compose this community, this fantastic community that we are all a part of. And Dimitri, uh Buterin is Vitalik Buterin's father, so technically he's like layer negative one, uh, whatever comes yeah. right right before <laughs> right before zero. And so I, I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation to k- kick off this uh, new show. So Dimitri, Dimitri I'm, I'm excited to get into some non Ethereum, non DeFi related subjects, uh, and maybe we touch on totally. them
1: later. Yeah, totally. And I think I I love their I, I love the name level zero, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I was just reading some articles this morning about governance and this and that, right? And people, again, we people want safety and stability. It's like, you know, code is law. Mm -hmm. But the thing is like, code is written by humans and uh, code will be full of bugs. Humans are full of bugs. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a never ending process of, uh, you know, it's a feedback loop. So really, it's really important to focus on that invisible layer because it's, I mean, Invisible in the code, right? But it's mm-hmm. an extremely important aspect of this whole ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, if all of the humans of the world disagree with the code, then the code is invalid, and it doesn't matter, and it's back yeah. to back to the human layer. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I want to go all the way back and, and kind of ask you, uh, what was it like to grow up in Russia? What was that like? And and what city did you grow up in?
1: I grew up in a city called Grozny in a place called Chechnya. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that southern part of Russia, close to the Afghanistan border, um, and you know it wasn't so much Russia; it was Soviet Union, right? And uh, it was uh, interesting, right? Because end of the day, uh, we have all kinds of memories from our childhood—some good and bad—and depending on our current emotion, you know, some can prevail. Mm-hmm. So there was all kinds of stuff in that childhood, you know, having fun. You know, I had a very curious mind and I think I still do and uh, doing fun stuff and, you know, trying to blow things up and then getting interested in electronics and whatnot. Having to learn some disciplines, going into swimming, this and that, getting lots of propaganda from the right. state. You know, the state was this... Uh, uh, all powerful benevolent force that was doing everything right, and uh, entrepreneurship was considered to be bad. And uh, again, like everything is done by the state, and the state is perfect. And uh, and you know we were all uh, standing in this uh, doing these concerts and singing hymns to Lenin and communism and whatnot. But as you grow a little bit, and you see all this. Uh, you know, uh, discrepancy between what uh, what you've been taught and between what's actually happening, right? And nobody's really believing that. Everybody's just kind of playing the games. like Yeah, 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 let's kind of do this. But now let's talk about real life, right? So it was really fascinating environment to kind of look at all of that stuff. I, I'm assuming there's some
0: semblance of resonance with this. But when, when grow, growing up in America, there's always the question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What What was that question like? For you in, in in Russia, what what form did that question come in?
1: Hmm. Well, I guess it's supposed to come up pretty much for every child. I don't recall that's ever really coming up for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, maybe it's part of their social cultural level and uh, you know socialism that uh, Soviet Union was mm-hmm. right. But it's kind of you were just feeling like you're part of this, you're a meaningless part of this huge blob of stuff and the blob is moving somewhere and you will be told what to do you 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 know you will be told where to work and kind of you will be you know your the kind of money you make and will be defined for you all of this stuff and yes you will be you know the free healthcare and education blah 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 so you just do what you're told right and it's really interesting because it's also you can see that even in modern russia which is uh, very different and went very far from the Soviet Union. But the whole concept of uh, there's a huge difference uh, in that and in, uh, in the West, and especially in the States, there is this uh, respect uh, for the individual. And uh, in in that society, it's like individual means nothing. You know, we can easily just move a million people here. We can mill, we can kill. You know, ten millions here, and they don't matter. You know, just their Collective matters and an individual doesn't matter. So,
0: so did you have that question answered for yourself inside of your own head or did you not even think to ask the question like, what do I want to do with my life later?
1: I mean, when I when I got old, uh, you know, as I was growing up, I was just kind of following the things that were of interest to me, especially as I realized that or I don't have to just kind of follow the things that I've been pushed to by my parents and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, you know, I always, I had a huge library at home, which uh, was really awesome. It really helped me uh, grow and satisfy my curiosity about life and everything. And there was lots of, uh, lots of kind of books about science and math and puzzles and stuff like that and sci-fi, even though it was pretty hard to get books in uh, the Soviet Union. It was funny, like actually to get some new books, you actually have to, uh, Submitting to recycling like, you know, 10 kilos of old books, stuff like that. Um, so I got interested eventually in electronics. And then I got interested in cybernetics and kind of basic computer systems and programmable calculators. So by the time I uh, finished uh, school, high school, if you want, then I knew that, okay, I really want to study computers and stuff related to that. And kind of, I, I chose the university and I went for that.
0: Do you remember your first introduction to a computer? Like, what what was the first time you touched a computer?
1: I probably was maybe 15, maybe 16. Oh, yeah, probably somewhere around that age. And the first, my first experience was with this. uh, You know, in school, we get, we're supposed to get some kind of hands on experience uh, at some, you know, not outside of regular learning, that you get some hands on experience with. Uh, In a particular, whatever factory organization, right? And in this case, we're at some kind of, uh, I don't even remember what the organization was, but they had this, uh, what do you call them, a mini computer, right? Like, you know, when you have terminals and you have this huge computer somewhere, and then you have printers and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it was really exciting to kind of be being able to kind of touch that, and uh, and then they had some experience with personal computers, and maybe even before that, probably my first introduction was uh, a programmable calculator, right? Like Soviet Union was uh, like was not known for creativity, but it was uh, just uh, ruthlessly copying all the stuff it could steal and copy from the West. So I believe that uh, the programmable calculator that they had, it was just a copy of something that was created in the West, a couple of whatever decades or a decade before that. And it was this uh, scientific calculator, which had hundred bytes of memory. And and that memory was all that you had for data and for code. And it was really cool as I kind of was reading some magazines and trying to, and it didn't have any, uh, it only had RAM. So you switch it on you have to type in their, the codes and then you run it and it does their calculation. And people were actually still building some little games on that, right? And their inventiveness of kind of building stuff, you know, in hundred bytes of uh, machine codes that kind of that fascinated me. it was so cool to to kind of learn about that and try to play with that and whatnot. Oh, I, I remember
0: doing the same thing in, in math class with my like TI eighty four, and and everyone who was bored in math class would figure out that like you could make like the different patterns by putting numbers in. You press enter, and you would see it scroll, and you could make like yeah. yeah, you make the little, little mazes. Uh, I, I don't know how many bytes of of memory that TI eighty fours had, but that was that was my yeah. introduction. It was definitely just a, an entertainment tool for kids that were bored in math class.
1: Yeah. And, you know, also my curiosity always kind of then pushed me to explore. Okay, so this is how it works. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if I press all of these buttons? What happens when I do this? What happens uh-huh. when, you know, it says it's like there's no more memory, but then I try to put an, you keep another going. comment, right. you know, stuff like that. So, like, I got really interested into the concept of what is now known as uh, hacking, sure. right? But basically trying to, okay, so here's a complex system that does what it's supposed to do now what can we do with it that it's not supposed to do
0: (laughs) would you say that like computers resonated with you particularly or were you just a a normal like you know teenage boy that gets fascinated by gadgets did you have any particular resonance there were no gadgets around me
1: you know Like, like in the soviet union like you know first of all so i grew up in like in the end of 70s and then the 80s right so very few gadgets again you like soviet union was extremely poor compared to the west mm-hmm. uh, and access to this kind of stuff was uh, extremely limited and maybe accessible to the elite so mm-hmm. so computers were the most i mean i only got access to them when i was in my teenage years and uh uh they were really hard to get uh, right. access to and they fascinated me with their level of complexity you know
0: hmm and so you went to school for uh, computer science or cybernetics? Yeah, what,
1: uh, yeah, oh, computer yeah. science.
0: What's cybernetics? I mean,
1: it had like a long, complex name, like you know, okay. software applications for mm. computer systems, whatever.
0: And then, what was your like first job out of school or or career path that that you got out of that?
1: Uh, the very first job, uh, I it was I was a software engineer actually in a bank. Mm. Mm. <laughs> in a bank, yeah. huh? <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: And then, where in this story did you uh, meet Vitalik's mom?
1: Uh, in the university, yeah. she was met in, in my, my class in the university. Yeah, mm-hmm. what was she we studying? Were studying together.
0: What was she studying? Same thing.
1: Same thing. Yeah. Ah. Ah.
0: Okay. So we had we had two two computer nerds meet because of computers, huh?
1: Yeah and you know at that age computers are fun but then also oh what about booze and sex and what yeah. you know that's fascinating too
0: <laughs> blues huh was blues a thing yeah. in
1: russia no booze oh, oh booze, booze. <laughs> oh i thought you oh, okay fair enough yeah <laughs>
0: uh can you can you tell me that story of, of how you met vitalik's mom
1: well it was just she was in my class you know yeah. like and then exactly how it unfolded you know it's really hard to remember that it was uh you know whatever 30 plus years ago Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. interesting interesting um so when
0: one of one of the reasons why i was asking about computers is because like i would imagine when vitalik was growing up when if you plopped him in front of a computer he would just like magnet like gravitate right right towards it would you say that was true
1: yeah totally right and you know also for many parents we kind of we end up trying to live our dreams through our kids, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like when we were kids, there were still things that we were somehow not able to do and get access to, right? And, you know, then you buy all these Lego sets and it's part of you really wants to play with them. It's like, oh, no, it's for my kid because it's also hard for you to admit that big part of you just wants to play with that too, right? Mm -hmm. So when Vidalik was growing up, I'm like, oh, man, I really, when I was younger, I really... Wish that I had access to computers. Uh, so, and this kid seems to be really smart. So
0: mm-hmm. let's
1: put a computer in front of him and let's see what he does with that, right? So, and I think like from an age of whatever it was, four, or five, he got extremely curious and interested uh, in playing with computers and you know, you comp- know that old IBM PC that we gave him.
0: Mm-hmm. So f- feel free to just not answer any question that becomes too personal, but how, how soon after you met Vitalik's mom, did you, you guys have Vitalik?
1: I mean, we met in 89
0: uh-huh.
1: in the university, right? And Vitalik was born in 94.
0: Okay. And so by the time Vitalik was born and was actually like a, a functional being that could actually play with a computer where computers computers are far more accessible at that point than when you were yeah, a kid. in yeah. Russia, Right. And so you guys yeah. just had one in the home.
1: Yeah, we had an old IBM PC and, you know, yeah. we now had access to computers and even, you know, can you imagine laptops, you know, right. for yeah. personal use? So then like, okay, but computers were still considered to be extremely valuable, mm-hmm. uh, and rare and expensive. Uh, so we just, uh, kind of had the, an old one that we gave to him to explore mm-hmm. and play with.
0: What, what could you do on that computer? Like what were some of the, what would you do? Were um, there games?
1: No, not really. Um, I mean, very few, but uh, Excel actually right. there was Excel, Microsoft huh? office installed on that. Mm. And he loved Excel because uh, it was such a diverse tool, you know, because Initially, he was not interested in like Excel as such, but in Excel, then you could draw circles and you can fill them with color. You can draw lines. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff, draw and whatever, but very quickly, he also got interested in actual Excel functions and then like, okay, you put, because he learned about numbers very early on and, you know, math was kind of obsession and joy for him, right? So And once he figured out, oh, I can put a number here and then here and then through functions and stuff like that, then he got really fascinated with just doing stuff within Excel, doing functions and whatnot. And and later on, when he was maybe, I'm guessing, maybe around seven, the kind of the first programming language that was also easily accessible on that old computer that was using uh, was Visual Basic uh, for, you know, built, uh, Visual Basic for applications, which was built into Microsoft Office. And uh, that was kind of the first thing that I was uh, teaching him a little bit.
0: That's funny because people often, uh, one of the most salient metaphors I've heard about Ethereum lately came out of the uh, Tim Ferriss podcast with Naval. And he illustrated Ethereum as just like a global Excel sheet that we all can like write to. And you're telling right, me that right. Vitalik's first two like things about him was his obsession with math and his tinkering with Excel. Yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You can just extrapolate that right right into the future. <laughs> w- w- uh, so uh, obviously, everyone in, in Ethereum holds Vitalik with you know an, an insane amount of regard, and obviously he like invented Ethereum. So uh, there's some some history of of incredibleness about, uh, to Vitalik, but, but when, when in Vitalik's like, uh, childhood, did you, would you say was the first inclination that this kid was different or special in any way? Well, was it, was it obvious
1: or was it not obvious? Every child is different and special, right? Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in different ways and, uh, and every child then they have their own peculiarities and quirks and struggles. But I mean, his, uh, uh, him being very smart and, you know, learning very easily was pretty obvious by, I don't know, like three years old, right? Mm-hmm. Like I learned to read, I think around three and a half years of age. And I think that Vitalik, I, I don't really recall, but I be, he probably learned to read before that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he was around three. So kind of when you see that uh, child is really taken into this uh, abstract notions of symbols first for reading and then for math, you know, then it becomes kind of, quite obvious that, okay, so it looks like his brain is really enjoying exploring those kind of concepts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when he was, uh, say, six, and he was playing uh, with Lego sets, and uh, he was not building, like, castles and whatnot, but he was like, oh, I built a six, and here's a five, and then there were some kind of uh, animated, uh, some kind of special uh, digital animals and whatnot, and so it was again like, he was playing with math, but also not just in his head, but through the physical world.
0: Hmm.
1: And uh, Dmitri, I know you're really big into the
0: concept of just spirituality and mindfulness and, and meditation. When did that come and become a part of your life?
1: Um, the evolution of this, I think it was like, uh, again, I had always had this innate energy of curiosity, right? So for me, first as a child, it was expressed in my desire to learn science and math and physics and stuff and whatever and then computers right and then eventually kind of then curiosity is like okay what kind of other objects are there in the world and then okay humans obviously uh, some of uh, very common and extremely complex objects and like oh how do humans work and uh, i got interested in the subject of uh, personal development and things like that right and then eventually psychology and then through that eventually uh Oh, it was Sam Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with the name, but kind of he's the guy whose book finally kind of got me into this whole, if you will, spirituality direction, because also I had lots of resistance to that. Like uh, growing up, uh, a lot, one huge aspect of uh, Soviet propaganda was that uh, religion is, uh, is bad, bad, bad. Right. And uh, so anything in that whole space, you know, religion and spirituality for me, I consider that to be in this whole space. And I was like, oh, no, this is kind of bad, stupid, you know, useless stuff. So let's kind of not go there. And kind of Sam Harris, uh, I read his book, and then that kind of really helped me to find a different perspective on that. Uh, do you know when you wrote, uh, read that book? Yeah, I uh, well, I mean, approximately... Uh, it was uh, probably when i was about maybe 40 years old uh-huh. so like let's say nine years ago nine, nine years, 10 ago. years ago maybe yeah okay so i mean i read a bunch of stuff before that you know uh, and i tried you know i love reading and i still do uh and i always read a lot of stuff uh and i tried reading stuff about you know meditation and buddhism and, and whatnot and uh, uh and Back, you know, before his book, most of the stuff was kind of really hard for me to read. But then eventually, when I overcame this, you know, now I can talk to anybody about any kind of religion, about God, right. about whatever you want to talk to me, because right. I can right. kind of map the concepts that they use mm-hmm. to my own understanding of the universe, if you will. So
0: would you say that like when you discovered mindfulness uh and, and meditation and, and this realm of the universe, which I find particularly fascinating, and, and I also credit Sam Harris as kind of like being my guide into this world as as well, uh oh. w- would you say that like you were already inclined uh to be a mindful person? Like maybe you are already mindful even though you didn't really hadn't yet been introduced to the concept? Or would you say that this was like a brand new concept that you found fascinating that you had to like start from scratch with?
1: Well, mindfulness is just like one of their aspects, branches of that whole space, if you will. So mindfulness specifically was not not a huge aspect of that space for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I would not call myself a mindful person. I was really very much... In my thinking head and my analytical brain, you know, thinking about stuff and, and whatnot.
0: Hmm. So, so here, here's what I've been trying to weave together for like the past like 15 minutes. Is because like this podcast is called Layer Zero. Uh, we yeah. these these crypto economic networks are made up of humans. Uh, you you raised the human that made this Ethereum thing that we all are a community a part of. And
1: and you know, sorry to interrupt, right, but. He has not made it by himself, right? Yes. And uh, uh, I have not absolutely right. made Vitalik on my own, right? right. Like and right. that's really right. important aspect of this, oh, yeah. right? Because again, mm-hmm. Vitalik is who he is because right. of so many aspects and humans mm-hmm. and other factors, right? And you know, and then Ethereum is also is uh, where it is because of so many other people collaborating on that. Yeah, just
0: right. a- absolutely, yeah. And I in just to that's 100 percent right, is like nothing is made in a in a silo. But what I, find, what I find fascinating is that like, generally the Ethereum community at large, I think it would be accurate to say, is largely a, uh, it's a, a very inclusive community, very friendly. And I think as you get yes. closer and closer to the core of the Ethereum developers, the people that are actually writing the code, you find that to become more and more true. Uh, and yes. so, like, uh, I, I know people like Carl Florsch, who, we, who I just talked to uh, from Optimism and uh, just another other, you know, the, the circle of people that I think Vitalik kind of like associates and hangs out with all kind of share the same sort of inclusion, um, Zenness, mindfulness uh, about the world. And I see that, like, yes. instantiated in Ethereum. And so yes. I've always been fascinated. And one of the reasons why I wanted to, to lead Layer Zero with you is that there's this relationship between some mindfulness, in my, in my opinion, which in promotes mm. inclusivity, which actually dictates uh, some of how we actually build this system. Uh, because Ethereum you is. Know what?
1: Pre- maybe, maybe the word mindfulness is not the best label for this. Because, yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, mindfulness for me is kind of like, is really about being uh, deeply immersed in your perceptions, connected right. with them and whatnot, including mm. your emotions, your perceptions. Mm-hmm. And Vitalik is not quite that. And you know, sure. I and I'm I'm not that to you know to some degree, but I would call the energy that you describing differently, mm-hmm. you know, and the most simplistic term for this is kindness, but also mm-hmm. you can talk about acceptance and compassion, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I do know that when this whole Ethereum thing was starting a bunch of people who are not even usually named as a, official co-founders, right? But I know that what they were talking about is that. Uh, they wanted to create a community that would be that would be inclusive, that you know would mm-hmm. be built on the foundation of like being open and having a dialogue and stuff like that, right. right? And again, like people who have met Vitalik, who have spoken to him, they can sense that energy of kindness and acceptance in him, right? Mm-hmm. And you know that's that's kind of. Uh, this is a very powerful energy, kind of We all, all of us humans, we're really drawn to that.
0: A hundred percent. And I think the reason why I was using the term, the word mindfulness, is because to to me, if you practice mindfulness, you become kind, right? You become, uh, or and you can appreciate the perspective of others. Like you get more empathy. Uh, you become more inclusive. And so maybe maybe that's why I was using using the word right. the word mindfulness.
1: Right. Right. Well, and you know what? That energy, of you will kindness and compassion i know that in my human being that always has been a very strong energy Mm -hmm. and kind of being mindful or you know different mindfulness methods and practices that they kind of Mm -hmm. help me or you know they probably contributed then to that energy being developed right and again vitalik because of uh, the unique uh, combination of uh, attributes Mm -hmm. in him as a human being again they're intellect for sure right but then also again he is a very sensitive person he's also a very kind and compassionate person right and you know those kind of things like you know they are some of the important energies that you can sense in him
0: absolutely absolutely um wh- one thing i'd like to ask you is how how would you define uh, spirituality because to me everyone kind of defines it differently
1: yeah exactly right like you know the word doesn't mean that much but um, hmm. but what does it mean to you like in general I, you know i like labels don't mean much to me right but mm-hmm. uh for me uh spirituality is uh if you will investigation and sensitivity to well investigation of uh some of the most fundamental questions about uh, ourselves like what we are what is mm-hmm this kind of what is uh, consciousness uh, and stuff like that who's in charge, where is all of this coming from right so spirituality for me is the whole space so when people investigate that and there are many different avenues from many different practices from whatever meditation to mushrooms to lsd to chanting and drums and sweat lodges and whatnot right people investigate that and there is a Also, you know, philosophers and writers, so so many ways people tackle that, but really they're trying to kind of figure the most fundamental questions of uh, who we are and where this whole thing is going and what does it all mean. Do you think Ethereum is relevant to the concept or topic of spirituality? Uh, So, topic of spirituality... Again, if I think about this as uh, asking those the most important questions, right? And when you ask those questions, it also takes you away from judgments like "oh, things should be this way," right? Then, like, you develop sensitivity, like, okay, so where things are, and then instead of judging situations, then you kind of start observing, and then when you observe, then you actually develop what pe- many people refer to as intuition, right? It's uh, Kind of when your limited analytical mind instead of kind of trying to extrapolate very few little details into like oh i know what it is but instead when you develop more and more sensitivity to this high level patterns then you see oh you know here are all the different patterns you know, that are happening in the world you can also see this as the space as the universe is doing so many experiments you know look at the us so they run one experiment with trump okay now there is another experiment with uh, joe biden right Russia is currently running a totally different experiment and kind of if you look at this uh, from this perspective you can see that yeah the universe has been running a bunch of very if you will authoritarian experiments in the whatever well, last few hundred years if you will and uh, and they seems to have been failing right it also tried to do this I mean Collectivist experiments, which kind of ended up being really the same thing, you know, just in a disguise, very authoritarian. So it sounds to me that uh, the answer of the universe, their concentration of power and fragility, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is not really working out in 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 life, if you will, right? So Ethereum is that uh, technological. Uh, experiment that the universe is running that very much corresponds to the findings uh, that uh, the humanity has uh, their insights uh, the humanity has uh, developed over a long time about what works and what doesn't right because <clears throat> and there, there are many different aspects to this but even like if you compare ethereum to bitcoin right like again Bitcoin is very strong. It's trying to be very strong and simple, right? And uh, there's a lot of power in simplicity and this confidence, like we're perfect, never going to change. This is it. And, you know, it's amazing. Like this attracts a lot of like people who wants to feel this energy of confidence and safety and whatnot, but life, life will never be safe. You know, like, you know, and any kind of like one analogy I'll give it to you, right? Many people uh, one aspect of a human journey is like many people start as victims. So you know, if here's me, I'm weak, I'm small, the universe is doing stuff to me, then people move on to this uh, uh, achiever position like, oh no, I can do stuff, I can be disciplined, I can achieve stuff, I can be strong. And it's an awesome phase, but it's by far not the final phase because however strong you are you end up, you know there will be storms in life that will mess you up, you know, People close to you will get sick and die. Things will happen. You will lose money, whatever, right? So being strong and just trying to resist everything is a very limited strategy. You know, like a long-term, it always breaks, right? So Ethereum is a different kind of experiment, if you will, for me. It's more reflective of uh, what life has found uh, uh, actually works kind of long-term. It's a much softer open and re- resilient system the system that keeps evolving right like talking about monetary policy talking about so many other things right and uh, and those systems there uh, i think longer term will uh, prove themselves to be much more aligned with how the flow of uh, life unfolds right so can I those very long answer right but you know if i try to uh, summarize it right so spirituality that investigation of what life is what we are uh, eventually leads us to see their interconnectedness of things and you know, their fluidity, their openness of all the systems. Right? And, and for me, Ethereum is very much aligned with what we as a humanity, as the universe have been kind of finding uh, over this millennia of existence.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the show. In the second half of the show, I actually revisit the conversation of consciousness and mindfulness meditation and acceptance in a different uh, context to finish off the conversation with Dimitri. And uh, I relate it to his experiences with communism and kind of talk about the differences between some sort of universal coherence, which is what communism is trying to produce and some sort of universal platform about what Ethereum is trying to produce and how that relates to the individual, as well as a few other questions like how often Dimitri checks the ETH price and his favorite workout regimen. Uh, So hope you're enjoying the conversation. Uh, Before we get to the second half of the show, we need to talk about the fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy-to-use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away new to matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze but the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your Ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your DApps all in one place. Are you familiar with the uh, political compass? I'm not. So you have it's like a it's four quadrants. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the, yeah. the chart. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Le- left, right, authoritarian, libertarian. Uh, I yes. want. I want to run this idea by you and see if it resonates. Um, to me, Bitcoin is has a specific point somewhere on the political compass and like uh, where it actually is on the political compass is is not not the point i'm trying to make the point i'm trying to make is that it actually has one specific point you can like point to it as like the bitcoin has the political leanings of of this and it's right here on the on Mm. the, the political compass yeah to me ethereum is the landscape of the political compass and it can be built to reflect anything that humans value and we can as humanity we can push it towards a side of the political compass that we desire and it can also optimize for different parts on the political compass and so when you tell me like uh, ethereum is supposed Mm -hmm. to be this like more abstract level uh updating protocol that reflects the people that that compose it i I see a, a landscape that Uh, humans can come and tinker with and experiment with. And like you said, we've been experimenting with authoritarianism for the past few hundred years. Uh, It's both worked and not worked. We are now like for the past hundred years, we've been experimenting with like democracy or maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, And that has its drawbacks. And now we have this like Ethereum thing, which is like this, technocratic like political fabric thing that allows different people to do different things on it and if that thing works, if that experiment works, then it exists as an application on ethereum. does how does, it, how does right. that like illustration land with you?
1: Yeah, I, I like that right you know and uh, also in that model that you describe that's it's also borderless right which is fascinating because for the first time in their life people uh, you know the democracy again, one of their key limitations of that is like, you end up with this polarity. It's like, okay, this guy is good. And then, you know, this half of people are pissed off. And no, our guy has won. Now, you know, this half of people has pissed off. Imagine that if uh, it could have been different that, you know, let's say that this guy has elected, then everybody who has opposed them, well, they can fork their own country, right? And they can run forward with their own experiment and whatever, right? That's not possible in... Uh, uh, existing model of what countries are, right? But Ethereum creates this kind of environment when we can experiment with much more fluid models, right? And back to kind of what you have described as, you know, about the political compass model, right? Uh, So yes, Ethereum, if you will, it uh, develop, uh, you know, uh, every time, we humans we, we like models we develop models right and we build the model we say okay stuff is here right and it's fine it's a lot of fun it's interesting but the thing is like every model will eventually break down because it will yeah. not be able to embed everything right you know you work on all of this physics and then quantum mechanics you develop quantum mechanics thing like oh man you know things are totally different than you know what we, the way we're thinking about them and uh in a similar fashion, like we have this political compass model, but then Ethereum's model is more inclusive. Okay, let's take all of this, and like actually you can be and many all of these points at the same at the same time, right? So it's a very different model. And it's actually quite similar to, well, again, the model of a human development, the human mind, you know, you have we constantly try to develop models and we have our models, but then the world doesn't fit our models. And then we struggle like, no, things should be different. You know, we know how it is. Well, but the universe doesn't care. It's like, you know, fuck you. You know, this is how the way things are. And then eventually we develop models that kind of more inclusive, right? So for me, again, Ethereum is very much aligned with that uh, overall movement uh, in the universe. That's okay. We develop more and more inclusive models of, of the world. They're more all-encompassing.
0: mm mm-hmm. That's, that's fascinating as, as someone who has experienced, you know, communist Russia, and then you moved to, uh, to, I believe Canada, which is, you know, very, very different. Yeah. How, how do you think this, the Ethereum will af- unfold upon the world using this like perspective, right? This perspective of new organizational new organization systems, like in the sky, how, how is, how is the people of the world going to behave differently if it, if they all, if we all become organized by Ethereum more than our nation state?
1: Yeah, I I really, there are many dimensions to this, like one of the dimensions, which I really love is uh, an aspect of uh, any human anywhere in the world can get involved in the world economy, right? And uh, you know, nobody can censor their access to information, nobody can censor their ability to contribute to participating in the economy, right? And, you know, again, it's not ideal and many states will try to do that, but eventually they will fail, you know, that's what we see. So that's kind of one aspect of this. Um, I had another thought which kind of slipped my mind uh, about this, but yeah, I guess that's kind of one of their uh, key considerations for me.
0: Absolutely. Um, When did you move to, uh, you did move to Canada, from Russia to Canada, right? When did that happen? Yeah.
1: Uh, 21 years ago, 21. Okay. Oh, so,
0: and you moved with Vitalik and Vitalik must have been really, really young. Yeah, he was, uh, six. Okay. So he did most of his growing up in Canada. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you see any, I mean, it it probably came through, through you if at all, but do you see any sort of like the fact that, you know, Vitalik was born in communist Russia first six years of his life and then and then moved to Canada. Do you see any of the fact that he was born in communist Russia, like uh, part of his person today?
1: I don't think so, because again, like uh, uh, by the time he left, he never even attended any kind of, uh, you know, uh, kindergarten, so any kind of public institutions. So his environment was really family, you know, his mom, myself, their parents uh, of uh, his mom, they made a huge impact on him. Um, so it was really just family environment that kind of shaped him there. And then when he moved here and he started going to kindergarten and then to school and all of that. So, uh, so society, uh, he was never really exposed to what Russia right. or Soviet union is. Yeah. Okay.
0: what, uh, what, except one
1: for thing... indirectly, you know, obviously, right. you know, through people
0: around. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, one thing that's been uh, fascinating for me to, uh, to watch is, and I, I don't really know Vitalik all that well. Like I've, you know, interviewed him a number of times, but it's it's a very different dynamic than just hanging out with a person. But but one thing I've noticed is that like his social like tactness has gotten like really, really sharp in the last like few years. Like it, people used to think Vitalik was kind of like this socially awkward kid, but, but he's actually, I think ha- can make of the Mm -hmm. most witty like jokes and has some of just like the the best like social skills i've seen in in the crypto space have you have you followed how how do you how have you seen like vitalik kind of like develop this this whole like social side of him
1: Um, it was really interesting to watch that right because uh uh also there were many different it's a non-linear process right and yeah. You know, he really expanded that when he went to high school, Mm -hmm. right? And then in his, uh, in the last, whatever it is now, six, seven years of his life, that is a theorem that also has been changing, right? Because again, we human beings, we constantly learn as we interact with the environment. And also like my perspective for him is obviously different because also I know that, I mean, he has an amazing sense of humor and we... We laugh at the same kind of stupid jokes. We resonate with him on the stupid jokes, if you will. Uh, but he will obviously in the environment of family and friends, he always he's much more open and relaxed because also partially to due to his sensitivity, right, to people's energies and emotions and stuff like that, and his own that when he's in the public environment and, you know, his mind gets so much, you know, input and uh, can be very stressful for him, you know, and when, when you're stressed and kind of your mind takes over and you become kind of more constricted or whatever, right. But, you know, again, we constantly learn, right. And, you know, as you, as our systems get used to being in those environments more and more, they kind of stop going into this kind of fight or flight mode. And, and eventually then kind of more of our, Natural energies, they they come out more and more, and I think this kind this is kind of what you've seen, right? So I'm saying that kind of what you are seeing, like uh, I've seen this, you know that that's the Vitalik I know, but uh, and I'm happy that uh, that people get to know more and more of uh, all of those uh, awesome sides of things.
0: So when uh, Vitalik was uh, traveling the world in like 2013, 2014, trying to get support for this Ethereum thing, uh, as a parent, like. What did you think that it was crazy at the time? Or like, what were your thoughts about like your your son, like traveling around the world? Like, cause I, there's the number of times I've heard of stories of people talking about how like, oh yeah, Vitalik pitched me this Ethereum thing. I wish I had invested, but I didn't. And he like slept on the floor of the Bitcoin embassy like it's all <laughs> these these stories keep on uh, cropping up. So as a parent, be- before we all knew what Ethereum was, that it was going to be this yeah. massively successful thing. What, what was it like to watch your son like fly fly around the world and trying to garner support for this uh, like you know unprecedented project?
1: Yeah, it's you know when he came home and he uh, said that you know what guys, I'm thinking of uh, dropping out of the university. It was actually interesting that you know all three of us you know. Me, his uh, mom and his stepmom, you know, he lived with me and his uh, stepmom, if you will, my second wife, we were all excited for him because uh, we we felt that, okay, you know what, Vitalik will keep learning and, you know, his future will be bright no matter what, but uh, also I'm a big believer in that uh you know, academic environment is awesome for academic knowledge, but, you know, life is so much more than the knowledge, right? And I was excited for him to actually be exposed to so much more stuff, right? And then he traveled... Um, and uh, he was writing these long emails to to us with updates and it was really fascinating to kind of watch his journey unfold and you know him doing all these different things and then staying the staying in this anarchist commune and uh, colorful in Spain and whatnot and and I was really excited for him to get exposure to that right because again we humans we grow in a certain environment and we you know that becomes our baseline and we think okay you know what like we Expect everybody to be more or less the same, right? And this um, is pretty well off, and it's a pretty open, you know, uh, peaceful, polite society and whatnot, right? But uh, the world is different. There's a lot of poverty. Um, poverty There's a lot of other stuff. So I was really excited for him to kind of get more exposure to all of these different aspects of the world and. Uh, and, and he did, right? You know, when he was writing his email updates, like, oh, you know what? And here we sometimes get one meal a day. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the only fruit that accessible to me is lemons. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we I uh, have to sleep on this mattress on the floor. It's like, oh, cool. that's really cool, right? So you know that actually life is not just, you know, sleeping in this comfortable bed in a comfortable place in a comfortable country. There are many other ways that people exist. And let's be, let's like knowing that and also knowing that you yourself can exist in many different environments is really uh, important, right? So yeah, that was exciting to see that. And I mean, I also have to say that at the time, like I wish I I would have uh, died, I could have dived more into what he was involved, but I was busy building my own businesses and things like that, right? So again, I was watching on site what was, uh, what was happening and I and I still remember, you know, how he showed to me uh, his uh, first version or whatever version of the white paper. I believe it was uh, October 2013, and it was really cool to kind of read through this. Like, oh, this feels like something really big.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, did you, did you, when Vitalik was doing this tour to to get like you know Ethereum support, how when you were paying attention to it, how much was it like? you following your kid around the world and just seeing those updates versus you understanding that this ethereum thing is about to be massive did you even at all know how big ethereum was going to be or had any sort of inclination as to like
1: what the magnitude of it no clue i had no clue i mean it felt to me like a pretty exciting initiative project if you will and i was also trying to kind of uh if you will my thinking, oh, hey, you guys, you can organize in this way. And how do you communicate? How do you do this and that? Um, and Vitalik was not really receptive to that. And, like, you know what? I totally understand that as a young adult, he has to go his own way, right? Like, you know, and, uh, and for me, I ended up also kind of learning a lot from watching this whole initiative unfold because, again, as an entrepreneur, right? And I was, uh, for most of my life and career, I was more exposed to more hierarchical structures, right? And not only in the last whatever five years of my life and business career, kind of, I really got exposed to, and we actually transformed our business into a non-hierarchical structure, right? So for me to kind of watch how things are done in this very fluid, very much open-source community it was fascinating, right? It's uh, I didn't have that strong reaction. I think it was Fred Wilson who was berating Vitalik that, no, you should be kind of moving fast and hiring this, right? But that's not, it's like, you know, it's how you try to evaluate fish if you tell them, hey guys, you suck because you cannot climb a tree. Okay, but you, you know, and uh, a monkey can. Well, can can a monkey swim in the ocean, right? So for me to kind of watch that and learn from, from that and getting to appreciate their, very different, uh, you know, actually that their approach, the structure of the community is uh, have to correspond to the structure, the concept, the uh, thinking behind the initiative that you're doing, right? So because of what they were doing, the way they were doing it actually was, uh, if you will, a much better match for this than some kind of like hierarchical structural, uh, you know, rigid uh Rigid structure, kind of trying to move this forward as as fast as possible and whatnot.
0: I, I remember uh, just seeing you walk by at ETH Denver, I think 2020, but it might have been 2019. Um, and I, I, I you were uh, walking, who I can only presume was Vitalik's mom. I'm I'm assuming. And I just had this this moment. It's like, oh, that's like that's Vitalik's parents at this ETH Denver conference, which is this massive like a yeah, 6,000 person conference that is all completely here because of this Ethereum thing. And like, uh, I completely uprooted my life because of Ethereum. And I know Anthony Cezano uprooted his life because of Ethereum. Do you ever like, what what is that like to like witness and think about when you're at these conferences and like everyone is here because of this like you know this white paper that your kid like went on a journey around the world with to help promote and then just garnered enough support to turn this into a massive ecosystem like that must be a crazy perspective to have
1: yeah it's really fascinating to kind of watch that it's like this huge organism you know you you observing like how it was kind of you have the privilege of seeing and having this close access so like oh it's like this just a single cell and you know now it's a little bit more and now it's this little embryo and now it's kind of growing and now it's like becoming this you know huge enormous very powerful organism that is evolving and starting to affect you know so much of the society so it's just uh and yeah it's denver and i love that i think that's like for me it's uh uh probably my most uh, uh favorite event in this space and you know the Likewise. organizers are doing such an awesome job I've been there a few times, and definitely coming back. So yeah, for me, just kind of watching that this this is like an uh, with a huge fascination, if you will, at the uh, and gratitude and appreciation for oh wow, this is uh, this whole thing is unfolding, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, for me, it's like part of the nature, part of the universe. So the really fun and enormous aspect of this uh, again that I had the privilege to be kind of able to watch closely. Mm-hmm. Are you ever
0: uh, fearful for
1: Vitalik's safety? I'm not fearful. Uh, Stuff happens, right? And uh, I don't mean to sound callous, but me being fearful for his safety will not help his safety at all, right? And uh, like... It can be difficult, and I still recall. Uh, I think it was four years ago when I was coming back from. Uh, I was on this uh, retreat in Europe, and I was coming back, and just on the day there that I was coming back, and I just flew from Europe, and uh, this uh, piece of fake news was published that Vitalik was, you know, right. dead in a car accident. I'm like, okay, and that was pretty intense, kind of to like observe that, and you know. I was not too scared because something about this article didn't quite kind of feel right to me. And then eventually after I was able to reach kind of Vitalik in Asia and actually before that, when I was actually able to do some Google searches and Mm -hmm. find some stuff about this, but it was still scary. Right. And, you know, but again, this is life, right. And uh, end of the day uh, fears, we human beings will experience fear. And the only answer to that is like, of course, we will try to do what is possible. And I know that Vitalik is a smart guy. And when we talk, uh, he shares some of the ways that kind of he's trying to stay safe. And I kind of try to mention to him some of the tips and ideas. And you know, when the conference was in Mexico, kind of we, we're trying to be mindful of that. But then, end of the day, you take the precautions, you take the actions. The fear might still be there. So okay. and all you can do is just to face that fear and keep moving forward, right? And for me is. Uh, uh, looking at Ethereum now, right? Uh, I can, you know, Vitalik has always been very focused on not being, not kind of like Ethereum having less and less uh, dependence on him as a single kind of human being, as a linchpin. And I think that has changed a lot, you know, since the beginning of Ethereum and uh, it'll keep changing, right? There are all these amazing people doing all of this really cool things from communication, to development, to foundation, and this, and you guys, you know, all of this, right? So mm-hmm. really this uh, mechanism is much less dependent on him. So uh, while I hope and wish for, with Alex's long health and whatnot, also uh, for me, it's very gratifying to see that Ethereum community is um, much and much less dependent on that particular human being. Totally. Question for you. Uh,
0: oh, I guess you're on a podcast, so these are all questions for you. But uh, mm. how how often do you check the ETH price?
1: Um, every day, a bunch of times. Yeah, I every mean, day. depends, right? <laughs> like when it goes down, they're like, "Oh my god, it's painful," right? But <laughs> not so much for like uh, what it is. It's like. Right. Because also, you can see that when the price goes down, then a lot of people in come community it affects their mood and whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, also, as you have watched it in the last whatever long time, is that when their price is frothing and it goes up, then there's a lot of kind of noise in this space and all kinds of people get attracted. You know, when it goes down, there are still lots of passionate people building stuff, right? So I know that by itself, it doesn't mean anything this is just kind of right. one of the fun little things you can look at well, right. still as a human being when it goes up it's like yeah you know yep, for man. me it's more like uh it's not about the price itself but for me if you will it's an indicator is the world is finally understanding the enormity of what is happening are they finally appreciating this right mm-hmm. and when the price goes up, it's like yeah, the world is finally appreciating what is being done, what is being built. When it goes down, it's like yeah, hey guys, you know, can you not really get what has happened? You know, so kind of that kind of vibe. How's weightlifting going? Uh, very poorly since no. the COVID, meaning that yeah. uh, you know all the gyms have been closed in Toronto for like. I thought, a I thought a you
0: had a, a gym outside, outside of wherever you live i don't
1: know i mean i have a friend you know who has a gym and sometimes i was able to attend his place and they have some kettlebells but actually my number one exercise for the last year and a half has been walking Ah, and you know that's vitalik's favorite exercise too so yeah
0: yeah no i I, at some point a couple weeks into covid i just realized that i had nothing left other than to just go walk uh, yeah. and so, so much, so much of my day was like working on bank lists for the first, like two thirds of the day. And then I would just like immediately just like start walking and, and not really know where I was going. And that was my mm-hmm. exercise during COVID too. What, what kind of lifts do you like to do? You, you like to do compound lifts, right?
1: I'm a big believer in free weights, mm-hmm. you know, just because again, uh, I've been training, you know, I grew up my natural, uh, uh, makeup is the same as Vitalik's, kind of being tall and very thin. And uh, as I was this nerdy little kid who was bullied and like, oh, I want to get bigger. So kind of, I found this outlet for for myself. So I've been exercising since I was uh, 17. Um, And over this time, I've learned that uh, uh, free weights are kind of the best versus all the fancy machines and kind of heavy free weights all the basic lifts like uh, squats deadlifts you know uh, what's, what's your presses. max max squat uh i have a record somewhere i don't frankly recall recall yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> like well. maybe 350 pounds i'm
0: thinking oh 350 oh that's pretty good dude <laughs> that's way more than i've ever gotten to i'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh for for what it's right for what is it's the danny ryan's record i think is uh right around 300 so you're you're beating danny oh, cool. ryan yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. who in the uh, in the Ethereum world do you like quote unquote hang out with? Like do you or do you have like group chats that you're in cuz like everyone who's deep in Ethereum they got Telegram groups they're in, they're got Discord channels they're in.
1: Are you part of that world? No, I'm not. Yeah. Like in general, I find like I I try to avoid group chats because there's so much noise. Sure. And uh, I kind of prefer one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. they can be uh, pretty quick they can go very deeply but for me that's kind of preference when you can really connect with one person and sometimes it can be you connect with them once or twice a year but it's a real human deep connection not like some superficial noisy thing mm-hmm. uh it's like you know even in my last business that i sold uh, we use Slack as a communication tool and I was always like, you know what, guys, I don't want to be in that because a lot of this is just short term noise and kind of my mind tends to, to work more longer term, kind of slower strategic thinking, if you will. So the, the world of
0: 2020 has been a very like chaotic, tumultuous place. What are you paying attention to in, like, the macro world that's, like, outside of crypto and Ethereum and, and Bitcoin? Like, do, are, do you, are you someone that consumes the news and pays attention to what's going on in the macro world?
1: Uh, I try not to, like, you know, and actually uh, about 20 years ago, I stopped watching the news, right? And I, I never kind of, I don't have a TV mm. or cable stuff like that i have a tv for watching movies but uh, i never watch like actual tv programming right and that's been very uh, uh peaceful for me mm-hmm. and i also know that uh, well i mean twitter is kind of my current preferred social media uh, hangout place and uh, i know that whatever is important uh, then uh, that will be mentioned and you know i'll kind of know what's happening uh just because of uh, my historical roots, you know, part of me, I'm still watching the events unfolding in Russia and uh, around Russia, like in Belarus, and it's some crazy stuff there, right? But generally speaking, uh, my main interest, uh, interest, if you will, in life is, uh, and beyond the basics of being human, you know, end of the day, there's nothing more important than that. But, you know, the crypto space, decentralized tech space... It resonates with me a lot. And then, if you will, this whole spirituality mm-hmm. space, but I would not even call that spirituality for me specifically, personally, like non duality is kind of like this is what resonates with me the most. Mm-hmm. So, kind of thinking about that stuff, thinking about crypto stuff, and then just, you know, living the human life, you know, supporting my kids, my friends, you know, being involved in some business initiatives and stuff like that i do for a bit of like mentoring and coaching and and sometimes certain business matters sometimes it's really like helping people people figure out that question is like what is god what is love what is happiness
0: mm-hmm. and so uh when when you're just hanging out in your own time on your own terms where does your mind wander off to where does it go
1: It's really I would say kind of this whole question of what am I? what is consciousness as you know that's there and it's a question that is, it's impossible to figure out uh, if you will analytically but uh, uh, that's kind of one of their topics that are really if you will the most complicated topic for any human to dive into and uh, uh, and the topic where you can never kind of uh, dream to find their, precise eventual answer but that gives me that's a lot of fun for me to explore on myself and sometimes you know also with some close friends
0: mm-hmm. as you've gone down the path of trying to answer the unanswerable question of what am i has that yeah. how has that changed how you act in the world
1: uh it really if you will as we go down that road and we realize that that's uh the infinite nature of a human being with all of the different parts, you know, because typically a human being lives with that uh, story about themselves. I am this, mm-hmm. and I have these reactions. Maybe I am shy, maybe I'm this, maybe I'm that. Right. And there are, there are lots of judgments and that, you know, like this is the way I am. And this is the way I should be all kinds of stuff. But when as there, this whole thinking judgment gets replaced by the process of, you know, being curious and sensitive to what is, it is, then you realize, oh yeah, I, me is a human which has this side and that side and this. And, you know, like I have my curiosity and I have this and I have this like desire to know. And then I have this desire to be perceived as knowledgeable. And the, and the fun thing is like, you know, those aspects of ourselves that we don't quite like. I mean, we try to resist and we kind of, we either don't see them or we like, I have to fix this. This is the wrong part of me. The more we resist those parts of ourselves, the more kind of there, you know, we've been stuck in them. But when we eventually, if you will surrender to them, like, oh yeah. So here's me, here's kind of like stuff that is going through me. And, you know, whether I like it or not, they actually kind of dissolve. And if you will, more natural energies of a human being come into play. And, you know, they are the same for all human beings, you know, love, compassion, and joy and having fun and playing and, and trying to create and trying to support other human beings, you know, they all foundational. It's just like, you know, when our mind is stops interfering and trying to also like, Oh, I don't like to be this way. Well, you are this way. Maybe kind of your sexual human being, maybe you're a human being who kind of wants to feel important, whatever it is, right. Whatever we try to deny, will kind of keep being uh, this, you know, Compulsive side of you, but when you stop denying that, then it just kind of parts of life that flow through you.
0: Mm -hmm. The there the there's a a thought in the world of like mindfulness and meditation. Maybe it's one of the more like sci-fi crazy thoughts, but like if everyone starts doing this, we can all start to like kind of break down the the borders between humans and and like minds can kind of mesh a little bit because if you can maximally understand who you are you can actually like start to dissociate from yourself it's like oh i am a human and i'm standing next to another human and like if you can just have like maximum levels of just empathy and uh separation from who you are as an individual you can start to like kind of like oh where am i trying to go with this um there there's this concept of like a universal consciousness right like a universal Being like so some people some people call me it's not the
1: concept that's kind of my if you will understanding of what we are Mm -hmm. right and uh uh this evolution of human mind and this investigation of what we are again human mind is basically a collection of models and one of the most important models that we have is model of ourselves right Mm -hmm. and kind of we're constantly trying to build better models right and then realize oh here's me but then i'm affected by this and you know this becomes part of my model and actually at some point there borders that your mind has created about mm-hmm. here's me and here's not me, that border actually becomes very diffuse and kind of when that model of yourself becomes very enmeshed with their model of what the rest of this that's kind of that's uh, that's a natural progression if you will of human consciousness. so that's exactly mm-hmm. kind of uh, again like with that model of self and the universe then, it makes much more sense to like things that kind of when you're supporting somebody, like that's all part of this whole interconnected global whole. It's not like you're doing this because you want to be good, but it's like, okay, we are this and uh we own all of this together, kind of thing. How did
0: but how does that isn't that kind of very similar to what communism is trying to achieve?
1: Not as far as I understand it, right? And the communism is really like uh, one aspect of communism is trying to de- deny individuality and capitalism and whatnot. Capitalism is bad, individualism is bad. But you see, in my mind, any kind of initiative, any kind of attempt of trying to move forward by denying something, like this is bad, we will do something good, it doesn't work, you know? Sure. Uh, And actually, Ethereum was not built from the energy. You know, there's some bad stuff. We're going to build something that's going to fix stuff. It's more like, oh, wow, let's. this sounds like an interesting idea. It's very complicated. Probably will not even work. But if Mm -hmm. we can make it work, oh, look at this exciting possibilities, right? So it's a very different energy when you're trying to oppose something Mm -hmm. like, you know, down with capitalism, down with this and that, like from that energy, like actually that perpetuates conflict right but you know from the energy of like moving forward like oh let's have fun let's try to create let's try to create more joy for ourselves and others right there's much it's much much more powerful and the communism is not that communism is really built very much on denial and violence right. uh, you know those are bad and and also simplistic answers you know sure and, and i completely take your point
0: and at some point like the and at a very early point this metaphor breaks down but I think yeah. you can take my point in the sense that, well, communism is trying to break down the barriers between the people that compose the system, right? Like we are all the same. We are all in this together. We are one unified party trying to go for one unified goal. And so, so to me, like, and to your point, absolutely. The way that communism manifests in the real world, it has to do that by like denying and mm-hmm. violence and coercion and totalitarianism. Right. But the goals are kind of the same. And so, like, you know, spirituality and, and, and mindfulness and, and meditation is all trying to break down the borders between humans.
1: But I think it's right. also
0: fascinating that, like, it kind of communism is trying to also do that inside of its own domain. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and I see your point. And, you know, the way to think about this is, like, as uh, we develop more sensitivity and we have this deeper model of what we are, but this structure within ourselves, you know, the ego that kind of still kind of is constantly trying to, like, uh, come up with like, no, this is me, I'm separate, I'm in control, I know. So it constantly kind of usurps you know, takes over all of our learning about this stuff. And that's why a lot of people who go into spirituality, they end up like with this new huge spiritual ego like no this is the right way it's like you should not be eating meat you should be meditating whatever blah 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 and you know i have this i have this wonderful state and this is why i'm so much better than you are right and the same with communism, like maybe the original concept was good i like it's hard for me to kind of the communism that i studied i did not feel that in there but maybe because it was kind of perverted because also if you even if you look into christianity right the christian religion is I see this as a really mostly violent bullshit versus their original insights of the founder, okay. kind of they're an amazing you know uh, insight into what humanity is right. So like again, the ego immediately comes into play, and right. this concept of gets perverted immediately right. So so that's kind of what I'm seeing. Do you see Ethereum as like a possible
0: vehicle to? March towards universal consci- consciousness. Is that a crazy question? I don't
1: really see that connection. It's a, it's an awesome technological tool, you know, and also it's a foundational platform for, uh, humans to poor like-minded to connect and do all of this stuff. And again, universal consciousness, it's not something that you do or you build or whatever. Again, like as soon as you think that this is some kind of result you achieve, that's already, again, like your, your ego has taken over because the ego wants to to know it, wants to do it, wants to move forward. Mm-hmm. But in fact, the more you recognize that this is kind of what life is, what is the actual reality, then mm-hmm. from this perspective, then you can keep moving forward and building stuff and having fun.
0: So the, the reason why I ask is because there's an inherent like dynamic on Ethereum where like you are... 100% enabled to become your own individual, right? Like you have your own Ethereum address. You can have your own ENS name. You can have your own yeah. NFT avatar. You are your own individual. But if you define your, if, but if individual, individuality becomes defined by like your address on Ethereum or your just like footprint on Ethereum, well now if, if that, if the Ethereum becomes maximally successful and defines the whole, if, if the fabric of Ethereum just blankets the whole globe, well now all humans are defining who they are on top of the same universal fabric, and so right. it's individual individuality, which is expressed on the same, in the same protocol, in, in the same yes. social layer,
1: right? And so yes. to, which to me, inter- that interconnects all of us. Yes, right. sure,
0: yeah. And so that, and so like may, maybe asking like, oh, can Ethereum get make us universally consciousness? Conscious is an absolutely insane question, but like to me, it seems to be like we were actually taking a step there towards universal cooperation which maybe is a necessary step to turn into whatever crazy like thing that we can achieve when all of humanity gets on the same page for the first time ever.
1: And one other way you can think about this is actually the the energy of Ethereum as this kind of open, all-inclusive, evolving network very much resonates with people whose own perception of the world is already like, you know, not like it's me versus the universe, but it's like, it's me and I'm part of this universe. So those kind of people, they get attracted to Ethereum. And, you know, that's kind of just alignment of that kind of uh, realizations happening in specific individuals versus like kind of bigger scale systems supporting that, you know, realization unfolding at a faster pace, if you will.
0: Mm -hmm. um, One thing I think I I find fascinating and, and I brought this up earlier in the show is like, uh, Vitalik who, you know, co-creator of Ethereum did a very large uh, you know role in actually bootstrapping this thing. Made a bunch of friends that are like-minded as people do. They make they find like-minded friends, they surround themselves with people that think and value similar things. And I and I think of the people that I know Vitalik to hang out with like like I said Carl Floresh and the people working on Optimism and Uh, other, you know, all the cryptographers, they all kind of have Vitalik's like similar vibe, right? And so there's this, in the deep Ethereum community, the people that like write the code and do the research and development and, you know, work at the EF, they all kind of have these same values, similar values, because they're all a bunch of friends. And to me, I, I kind of see Ethereum as this technological layer for this group of people that have very clear values to... Export those those values to the rest of the world. I think Ethereum is actually a way for like um, for the, these deep Ethereum community members who uh, you know largely have surrounded Vitalik and the other core members of Ethereum, and they are uh, are instantiating values when they write like the optimistic rollups. They are choosing specific uh, design choices which have specific values that are associated with them. And now that these design choices are being adopted by the broader Ethereum community, these values are being exported to everyone that touches Ethereum. And so I kind mm-hmm. of think like this, the relationship that you have as Vitalik's father, you know, one of two parents, and then that, well, that's just the nature. And now that, that's that's the nurture, but then there's also the nature side. So Vitalik is his own person defined by the environment. Um, but still, regardless, like you have had this influence in actually determining the code that we all touch on the internet. And that is a a a layer of values that we are all now embedded upon. And so I kind of think the the long-term legacy of Ethereum is to all get all humans on the same value system. And that value system is Ethereum.
1: It's interesting, right? Because also one of their values of the system that Ethereum is, is uh, being inclusive, Mm -hmm. being open to people who have somewhat different values and then, also having a dialogue, right? And then it means that in our community, there are people, uh, we welcome people who have some values who some people might be scared of. Like for example, sexual energy is a very strong energy. Very few people can kind of have good connection with that, right? And then somebody like, I mean, who's an awesome guy, right? And some people might get scared. Oh, you know, what is he doing? Like, you know, whatever, right? Or let's say the recent uh, hoopla about uh, uh, sushi not you know being, Prioritized lower than Uniswap on, on, in Optimism. Like okay, so now we apparently have some disagreement about values. So, but the value of the community, the overarching value, is that let's uh, it's uh, in the open, try to reconcile them and dialogue and move forward, right? So that's really interesting, right? So the value, if you will, of in authoritarian systems, then the system kind of tries to become more black and white. And you, I can see that in Russia, for example, you know, the like government in Putin is good or it's bad and it's becoming very black and white. Uh, and, you know, like for me, I really see that as extremely black. And then in Ethereum, it's like, yeah, you know, we have people with all kinds of values and desires and tendencies, but then still our foundational thing is like, you know, how can we still s- understand and accept them, right? And for me, it's a very important uh, aspect of also what being a human is, being a human and our compassion toward ourselves, toward all the sides that we don't might not like in ourselves. like oh I should not be this impulsive or I should be you know more kind or of whatever it is, right. But well, I am what I am, right kind of as a community as we can we don't have to deny all these different people with different opinions and somewhat different values. But as long as like there is a hierarchy, if you will, right? And again, they're at the very low level of this hierarchy is this openness, inclusiveness, right? And mm-hmm. for me, that's really kind of the most important aspect of Ethereum community.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think as you get closer and closer to the core of the Ethereum community, down, down to like the layer zero, if you will, you'll find that the, one of the core values that people have is to value other people's values. And that yeah. sort of, like, iterativeness is kind of how uh, there's some sort of, like, relationship between Ethereum and the infinity that keeps on coming up in all these different brandings. Dimitri, yes. thank you for coming on uh, Layer Zero and being the, the first guest. I've had a fantastic time just talking about all these different subjects with you.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was really cool conversation. Yeah, and thank you for, you know the privilege of being the first guest and it's really awesome and i'm looking forward to kind of meeting up in person you know at the next ethereum conference.
0: No, oh, well, like you said, ETH Denver is also my ethereum favorite ethereum conference and so if yeah. it's not before then, uh then at ETH Denver i will see you there. Sounds good. All right, bye Take Dimitri. Care.